Hey everybody, I'm Eric Tornberg, co-founder, partner, Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is an episode of Venture Stories, where we deep dive on topics relating to tech and business with some of the world's leading experts. Sarah and welcome to the Village Podcast. Thank you guys for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay, so in the era of Facebook, why build another social network? Why build a consumer social company when Facebook is dominant, they will acquire, they will copy? Why, why even think about it? Yeah, so we saw this really big opportunity as millennials especially are becoming parents. So 90% of new parents now are millennials. And the really interesting thing about millennials is it's the first generation that has grown up with technology. I'm a millennial, I'm an older millennial, but I got my first computer in kindergarten. I've had Facebook my entire adult life. And so we are used to solving our problems with technology, everything being a swipe or a tap away and getting our parenting information online. So we're becoming parents and we're turning to the internet and we're turning to Facebook and Google for solutions to our parenting problems everywhere for everything from finding childcare to what to do this right. weekend. And that information turns out not to be online. So it's one of the, the few areas that hasn't really come online yet. It hasn't really Why is it been. on Facebook? Because parents are on Facebook. Everyone's on Facebook. Yeah. So I think one of the things is that with a sort of niche identity play, which is what parenting is, you you have to go deep in that area and address their needs as parents. And, you know, when you think about Facebook, your network, your social network that you've had of, you know, your friends in high school and college may not be the same identity that you have as a parent. You sort of, it's this opportunity to make new connections and, and have new sources of information. And we're finding that especially true when it comes to local information. So people are turning to Winnie to get answers to where to find childcare or when's the library story time or what are good camps to send my child to. And they're not finding that information on Facebook, just posting to their college friends right. or right. whoever their old connections were. And is the, was the original vision that it was going to be more Yelp-like and less social-like or was it always both at the same time? Or how has the product evolved? Yeah, so Winnie, just to give a quick overview, has a sort of Yelp-like feature where you can search for all kinds of local information, everything from you know, childcare to restaurants with changing tables to great playgrounds nearby. Um, and all these places have lots of data that's crowdsourced by parents themselves who review and provide this information. But we also just sort of have a, a parenting community where you can ask questions and get advice on all kinds of topics, whether they be local, like what's a good place for swim lessons nearby, or just general parenting questions, of which you have many throughout the sort of 18 years which your kids are in the house. And so we're finding that you may come to Winnie with a sort of parenting query, like where do I find childcare? Where do I send my kid to preschool? But you sort of stay because it's a resource that can help you through tons of questions and, and all the stages of, of parenting your kids. So you're sort of building a database of all things parenting. I mean, how do you guys think about it? Yeah, I mean, it, you could call it a knowledge base. I feel like I'm dating myself right. using that term. It's kind of an old idea from like the early internet. 
But in the same way that like Quora is both social and a resource and a search product is kind of like Winnie is sort of that as well. It's both social and a resource full of evergreen content and information that's useful at all different points in your parenting journey. Um, And what makes it possible for us to do that at scale, certainly, is the fact that it's a crowdsourced platform that's powered by the people who are in it. So is your advice for people who are looking to build consumer social companies today to find a niche that Facebook doesn't serve well? Or (laughs) how would you think about it? I mean... I think that like you, you, Facebook's are really optimized for like mass engagement on all levels of the product from like the details of implementation and how feed works, like all the way up to just like their, their need to have everybody on the planet on there. That environment can become isolating when you're in certain life stages, right? I think parenthood is one of those stages. So you have built your Facebook graph of your friends over 10 years in your twenties. You were probably dating and you were going out to eat and you were enjoying food and you probably had some hobbies. You would go running. You had all these people on Facebook and it was probably great. And then you had kids and it's like this bomb in your life and everything is different now. And like the Facebook then isn't fun and engaging and social. It's really isolating because you may not have people on there who can relate to your new life stage. We have a lot of people who who would say like I can't I feel like I can't post this on Facebook because I don't want all my friends to see my kid posts right. and they're they're self conscious about it or they have child free friends who like don't want to see that content and it just suddenly becomes something they have to be anxious about and think about all the time and I think that there are plenty of things like this there are plenty of things like this that you cannot get from Facebook Facebook isn't particularly good at information retrieval either right. I mean it's it's mm-hmm. very much optimized for that like of the moment ongoing discussions but then stuff disappears forever is next door another example of a social network that sort of differentiated enough from from facebook i don't know next door is interesting i mean i think that the the idea of like making a better more mobile friendly craigslist is not a bad idea craigslist has been a pretty enduring product um because it serves a need people have and I, i feel like next door is well positioned to just fill that need and kind of take up the mantle of Craigslist. I don't think of Nextdoor as a social network. It. It's like a it's a tool I can use to contact yep. people near me, almost more like a communication. Yep. Network. Ben Thompson from Trajectory had like a, a post of something that like, there's the phone book and then there's the phone. And for me, Nextdoor is like the phone book, like, like directory. But you're trying for Winnie to be both, both. where you find information, yep. but also where you engage. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things we learned early on about parents is some of them like to get information through search. They want to type in a query and and search for their information and others want to get information through discussion and through explaining their, their unique situation and hearing from other parents sort of in real time that community feedback. And so to be an information retrieval product for parenting, we really had to address both. We had to you know, not just be this sort of search engine that yeah. could tell you all the childcare places nearby with reviews and prices, but sometimes you just want to sort of type in like free form, here's what I'm looking for and kind of help me think through whether I should even send my kid to preschool. Um, and so we see some parents like it, like to get information one way, some like to get it the other way. And so building for both of those use cases has been really important. And when people ask you the big vision of Winnie, do you say there are so many parents in the world or do you say, oh, we're going to do this and then we're going to expand to another category? 
Yeah, we think of parenting as like there are so many different decisions and information you need throughout your parenting journey. Even from the earliest stages of considering becoming a parent and trying to conceive, you know, through pregnancy and having a baby, then toddlerhood, all the way up through sending your child off to college. There are so many things that as a parent you're thinking about. And we want to be sort of top of funnel for all of those decisions you have to make, whether it's you know, choosing the best extracurricular activities or SAT prep course for your high schooler to like potty training your toddler. And so we want to go deep in in all of those areas. Winnie has started with sort of a focus on just some of those points because we had to start somewhere. But And it's for the new parents? Yeah, so we started addressing newer parents especially because they're more likely to be millennials, Mm -hmm. which we thought was sort of our target. And since we started, we've sort of grown up with our audience. And now we're finding there's actually quite a few parents of like even teenagers using our platform. But we don't necessarily have deep data in things like, you know, extracurricular activities for teenagers. And we also think that you know, maybe in the future, it won't just be a single app. There may be sort of apps. We actually already have a breastfeeding tracker because there there are certain sort of point solutions you may need for different parts of your parenting journey. But the idea is that you have 18 years right. of, yeah. of these users, at least. Uh, if you have more than one kid, it may be longer. And there are so many needs you have throughout that time. And we want to provide technology solutions for everything that can be solved with technology. Totally. So you guys recently, uh, the last public numbers were 100K monthly active users. Mm-hmm. You haven't heard a social network sort of gain that that traction, sort of this post, uh, you know, post Facebook era. How is it working? What are you sort of attributing to to your success? Where are the users coming from? What do you guys understand about growth that that other people who try to build social networks just don't? Yeah, I mean, we we definitely like pull a lot of people off Facebook because um, like our content gets shared there. And so people discover us there kind of organically. And so that's kind of one place that we touch people for the first time. We found that having an, our, our apps and being a mobile first company has been really advantageous. It is kind of the only app for parents and like in a sense that has worked really well for us because it enables a certain like word of mouth spread that has been really good. We have been featured in the app store a bunch of times. I, I feel like we're kind of in a category alone there too, and it has led them to like want to give us more editorial yep. coverage. We definitely have like a search play, and the fact yep. that we have tons of long tail content that's like always growing and amassing like on every yep. parenting topic you can imagine. So we start to get like organic search traffic on all these daycare place pages or like a local play page that's like the best playgrounds in your town, and, and yep. then like. That now is true all the way across the country, so it doesn't even have to be local traffic anymore. We sort of grow through our content. So whether that's directly because someone does a search for a preschool and they literally land on a Winnie page and learn about us that way, or indirectly through the fact that, you know, we're an app where you can find a changing table nearby no matter where you are. People come for the sort of utility content like they're looking for something specific and then they stay a lot of times for the just community and information they can get over time but we've found that having sort of a a selling point like you can find a place to nurse you can find a changing table you can find a playground 
or you know, you're literally searching for a playground and you land on Winnie, that sort of very clear value proposition helps us grow. But then we have to have an engaging product. And that's sort of what our feed of, of content that's personalized does to keep you around. And how do you, you know, when you build the social network or marketplace, you have to bootstrap the content somehow. So yeah. for product hunt, for example, you know, we had a lot of awesome people in the beginning and then they would you know, do sort of Q and A's and then people would want to read and be a part of that community and to sort of set the tone. How are you, how did you bootstrap your content? Yeah. So we got a lot of the data ourselves in the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, before we had a crowd to crowdsource right. the data, we built systems that would get this stuff at scale. And that was, you know, for the first six months, we didn't really grow at all. We just focused on getting great data and making sure our product was really valuable. And now the nice thing is that we can grow through our users. So every user that comes on gives us some portion of unique content that can bring on more users. But definitely in the beginning, we focused on like, let's just get this data and content ourselves we built a lot of tools and technology to do that at scale. We still do it to have really deep data. We recently did that for our childcare, winnie.com slash childcare. We had to, to build out this database of daycares and preschools ourselves. And then that sort of got everyone right. using the tool. Come for the tool, stay for the network. You guys have both been at consumer companies, Google, Twitter, Postmates. Quora? Quora. What have, and I guess Twitter and Quora are the most sort of social of those what have you learned from, from your experiences there or how they, they operated that you either did or didn't want to do at, as you were building Winnie? I definitely learned at Quora that there's a human element to content quality and to some degree to having like a not toxic community. Yeah. Um, you really can't forgo that, but that with the right tools and technologies, you can make a single person stretch an amazingly long way. Such that we, like Winnie's still at our current size, doesn't even have a full-time moderator, but our content is fully moderated. It's categorized by humans. Everything that's posted on the platform is seen by a person to make sure that, like, we're... And is the person an employee, a person's moderator? Yes, it's an employee. Okay. So, um... So one of your first hires is content moderator. Well, Sarah and I did it ourselves for a long time. So, yeah, our our very first hire (laughs) ourselves... It's, it's very important to us that, that the content is high quality and that yep. the community is a good resource in and of itself and like not something that is draining, dram- dramatic, stressful, that sort right. of thing. So, you know, we started out with, with our rules of conduct and we enforced them. But we built a ton of tooling that helps us do that at scale very easily. And I think it's really important that we did that. And I feel like... At Quora at the beginning, there were a few ideas that were wrong. Like we thought users could be moderators and it turned out that wasn't a great idea. So we had to bring so, it all in house and say more about that. Why, why can't they, or like, does Reddit get it to work? I mean, well, in Reddit's kind of different because right. like, it's not a brand that's controlling that community. Right. Um, it's the community gets to decide its own roles yeah. and enforce them. So that makes sense that there's user moderators. But I, I think when you're building your, your brand sort of is your community. It's just very difficult to outsource that work. And it sounds like it's going to be such a great idea because you kind of get the free yeah. labor. Um, but in reality, you end up spending so much time managing those people. Like you might as well have just done it in house and then had like, you know, the reliability you could train that person. And then like the company would decide its content policies and it would be enforced uh, consistently. But we rely on, on user signals to quickly take action right. on content. 
Right. Um, and that's the tooling that we built really early on. Yeah. So we don't have to be you know, looking at every piece of content because anything that is even questionable will come to our attention almost immediately, which is nice. Yeah. Crowdsourcing is fantastic for giving you um, signals. And then a human makes a judgment about what to do with the piece of content or the bad user, potentially bad user or whatever. And so that's something that's been really good. Another thing that I think we learned or I sort of brought from Cora was the importance of owning our own taxonomy of the content. And that's just strictly like a sort of a consistency thing and a, a technical implementation thing. So like when we uh, launched the ability to like tag Winnie's content with various topics, we created the topics, we own the topic taxonomy, and we don't like allow for user-generated topics. And that's different from Cora. Originally, you could create topics, and I think that was designed to like bootstrap a really big topic tree quickly. But it also became like a huge burden mm -hmm. um, and a big mess because like people's brains are just wired to think of things differently. And then you start having all these like duplication issues and synonym issues and spelling issues and all those problems. So we knew we wanted the content to be organized extremely well, and so we kind of took it on ourselves to make sure that the organization system is is consistent. When you see other people who are building consumer company, consumer social companies in particular, they fail. Why are they failing? Is it because they're not starting with a tool? Is it because they're not focusing on the right use case? Because they don't understand the right content moderation or, or tooling components, whether it's social network or communities? What, what do you think you guys understand that or have in terms of skill sets that, that other people don't? Success would be different. I mean, it seems like a lot of people fail to grow. And yeah. that can be caused by so many things, it's hard to speculate. I mean, maybe they didn't have product market fit. Maybe the community like grew too large and fell over. It seems like if you look at the people who have tried to build communities in the past, like maybe five years, the biggest issue is simply that they have failed to get real traction. What's your belief about anonymity? Yeah, so this is really important to us. And actually one of the reasons a lot of people use Winnie, we allow you to post anonymously, which is really important in parenting, especially because we see lots of content that people would not feel comfortable asking about. And and so we, not just anonymity, but we also found that privacy was something that some parents care about. And so providing the right tools where you can have anonymous posts, you can keep identities private, even when sharing photos, these things all encourage content contribution and help us just get really great content onto the platform and, and make it a really a community where people can can speak their mind and be themselves and be really honest. It's not the the Instagram view of your right. life necessarily. Yeah. It's not a highlight reel, but I think that really resonates with our audience right. um, who's looking for real information and, and real solutions to their problems. How do you guys think about monetization? Once at scale. Yeah, so we've been entirely focused so far on just building a great product and making it useful and, and growing it. And I think that's actually one of the things that set us apart from a lot of even parenting companies that immediately try to, they see this really lucrative market, which is parents, and they immediately try to make a buck off them. You know, it's really important to us that our core product is free and remains free where we really want this information to be accessible and useful and we're a crowdsourced platform so we never want to limit our growth and so i think you know even when we eventually do monetize it will be through things that still allow the core product to remain free one of the really interesting things we've seen so far is we have all these providers now so local businesses like the childcare 
the daycare down the street or the kids play space or a class or a camp that are now getting a lot of business through Winnie. So people are discovering their daycare through Winnie and they're actually calling them up and they're saying, I found you on Winnie. Do you have any openings? And so that provider is now coming back to us and being like, you, you sent me two students for my new preschool class. How do, can you send me five? Right. <laughs> can I pay for that? And especially these local providers, they, they don't have really places to reach a local audience of parents. Um, and so the fact that we're already seeing demand from them for the ability to reach a wider audience. And and that's the Yelp business model, right? Yeah. Have, also have access to like tools and special features. Like we think there's a real opportunity there. And, and the nice thing is we already sort of reach these providers at scale without a sales team. So it'll be a nice sort of source of revenue when we're ready to turn that on. Why has Yelp struggled? Or is that sort of a relative term based on how <laughs> successful they are? I struggle necessarily. <laughs> I guess relative to expectations. I think they have a bad brand. Um, and I think that, that a lot of people are kind of over it with Yelp. And I think that has been largely due to their inability to move a very successful web company to like the right. mobile first universe. Um, and it still plagues them. And that's part of it. And then I think that there's also the fact that they just kind of got a lot of bad juju for the way that they strong arm like small businesses. And that's how they've made all the wonderful amounts of money that they've made that they're good at that. And it, and it's a business model that works. Clearly people don't necessarily like it. And I think that's contributed to sort of a bad image, but I would not say they've been unsuccessful. I mean, they're still a massive company bigger than most. I just think they don't have the, most modern, right. most favorable brand out there. They're not the new hot thing. Um, yeah. But the fact that they're still around and still yeah. printing money, I think speaks volumes for, you know, when you kind of get this right. data and information at scale, it can contribute value back to your yeah. company for a really long time, even if you don't update your brand or become mobile. So that's sort of what they've done for restaurants. We're looking to do for everything else that doesn't have a presence we found that, you know, almost half of these child care providers, especially the in-home daycares, have no online presence. Not even a Yelp page. Yeah. And so by providing them an online presence, they can actually charge more. The ones that have an online presence are able to charge twice as much because parents can discover them. They fill all their spots. And so, you know, I think we're providing a valuable service and sort of in some ways, taking the Yelp playbook of what right. they did for restaurants and doing it for all these businesses that are trying to reach an audience of parents. It, uh, I've seen a bunch of these sort of class pass for kids companies. Oh, or yeah. People, so many. Yeah, try to start them. And I guess, do they all fail if they're all failing because they don't have the network first? Or I mean, growth always turns out to be yeah. a problem for them too. Yeah. Uh, it's You can become pretty successful in that business, I think, in a particular market. Right. And then scaling it is a challenge and... I think that is one of the problems with that business model. Yeah. I mean, something we've seen sort of as a theme in parenting is problems are extremely acute, but at a point in time. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, if you ask a new mother, she might say breastfeeding is the biggest challenge for parents everywhere. Um, But that's a, a moment in time and you figure it out or you stop doing it and then you move on to, you know, potty training or you know, finding a preschool. And I think, you know, in some ways, the sort of kids activities are a similar phenomenon where it is, you know, fairly acute when you have kids that are, you know, maybe toddler age to the time they enter preschool. 
and you need something to do during the day with them, but that's a period in time. And so, you know, I think it's hard, harder for these sort of point solutions to get traction and growth, but I don't think it's impossible. Like the, the needs are acute for a point in time. And there are, there have been very successful companies that just solve, you know, one moment in time, but you have to build like a really excellent product that really solves that need. Every social company in 2018, when they think about how to incentivize a network has to at least spend one second thinking about whether a token makes sense now or in the future. Have you spent that one second? Yes. (laughs) And was it a quick note? No, there's actually, I think there's a company in some parenting company in China that, ICO or already did. Um, that has like tokens that you can maybe rate products and buy products on their network, you know, because we don't make any money right now and we're not monetizing. I think for like a, a token to be a successful part of your product, it has to be integrated into right. what your users are doing in some way. It's a meaningful way. And so that, that doesn't make sense for us right now, but I'm, I'm, Super excited about crypto, and I wish there was a way for us to incorporate it. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. How are you guys? I know you guys are very deliberate about hiring. How do you guys think about hiring differently than maybe some other companies you've been at? One thing I think we did really differently is we only hired engineers. <laughs> that was really important to us. We we're building a technology company, and we didn't want to waste a single headcount on. Not a, non-engineers, and that's been a little. I mean, at this point, we're we're hurting. Yeah. Um, but I think you know when you have really limited resources in the beginning, and you raise a very limited amount of funding, you have a choice. And we chose that we wanted to solve our problems as much as humanly possible with technology. And I think that was was part of, partially taken from the fact that we've worked with really smart engineers in our previous jobs and like for us we know that that can really set us apart that's our strength is is just hiring the best talent so everyone on the team is is coding is building with the exception i'm not anymore because i don't have time except in my spare time um and ann does it along with all of her millions of other things but the fact that me and ann could build the initial version of winnie and be like at least technical enough to hire really smart engineers (laughs) i think was was good what else do you think is well, I mean, our team is uh, majority female, which right. is also notable. Oh, right. I've totally forgotten <laughs> about, forgot about it. No, I mean, that was a huge hiring advantage. Uh, it was, it, number one, like, it, to, having two female founders is so rare, and yep. having both female founders be technical is rare. So right off the bat, I feel like we just had, like, the most brilliant women we know, like, begging to work with us and, and wanting to join our team because... They'd never had the opportunity to work, sometimes even with another woman, period. Like, they were the only women on their teams. We also kind of benefited from some other companies in the area having somewhat toxic cultures. So, you know, it was pretty, it's pretty easy to, like, peel people out of a toxic team. And, you know, more often than not, they were women, but not always. And there's certainly men who I think are not necessarily feeling like the typical kind of growy startup culture speaks to them. And that what we could present them was a place where, number one, like we care what you get done and almost nothing else matters. We're extremely heads down and focused on our work. We're no bullshit. I don't, I think we've had like one or two things of swag printed ever. Like we don't throw like big annoying office parties. Our office is in like an attic above an office warehouse supply company in the mission. It is all business. Um, Yes, we're very thrifty. 
and we're just extremely focused on our mission. And, and I think that actually spoke to people. They wanted to join a team where it was about like doing their best work, advancing, you know, their own personal abilities, learning to be a better engineer and maybe having growth opportunities that they didn't have at their companies because of things like sexism. So we've also, yeah, I think we've, I like to say we've built the most family friendly culture ever, or we're trying to build the most (laughs) family friendly culture ever. And what does that mean Um, practically? So practically, I think that means like we don't, you know, go drinking every night after work because we have kids that we have to get home to. And, and we don't work all hours of, the night and on weekends, you know, we're very respectful of people's work-life balance and also give everyone in the company a lot of flexibility. Like if you have to work from home because you have something that you're, someone's coming by or you have an appointment in the morning and you want to come in late, we don't care about FaceTime. We care about what you actually get done. I think that's unusual for a startup. And I think that sort of family-friendly culture appeals not just to parents, but to everyone or to a lot of people that are just looking for some more balance and aren't looking to have their life completely consumed by their work. And so that's helped, that's been a huge asset in recruiting. How do you think that will change as you scale in terms of your foundational culture? That won't change. We, I mean, we'll become even right. more friendly as we scale. We'll be able to offer more benefits. Right. And, you know, right now we have to, you know, choose to offer great health care over free beer. And we're, we're choosing great health care yeah. that we find, feel like that's a family-friendly benefit. But there's other family-friendly right. benefits we can't afford to provide, like, you know, free child care yeah. that I would love to be able to provide in the future. So I think that, you know, will become even more family-friendly. And I think, again, that culture will appeal. We're finding it appeals to people who don't have kids as well just because it's different from it's unusual to find a startup that you don't have to sort of like give your right leg to, to work for. And we're sort of offering the opportunity to work for a startup and wear multiple hats and have that fast paced, exciting career growth, um, but not have to work 24 seven. How do you guys think about brand? I know you just said that you're all, you're all business now, but we we talked about Yelp and not having a great brand. How do you think about branding it or the brand of Winnie? Yeah, we're, we're very conscientious about it. We have been from the beginning. I, I think there's a massive brand opportunity here. If you, I was actually just this morning, just for fun, looking at like the uh, kind of the household name brands that you associate with parenting. So like Gerber is yep. 100 years old. Pampers, 50 years old. Huggies, 50 years old. Fisher Price, 100 years old. Disney, 100 years old. Mattel, 100 years old. So like you can go back and see that a lot of the brands that we, even as modern parents, are like kind of infusing our lives, mm-hmm. is they're all very, very old companies and very old brands. And if you think like, okay, well, what are the brands for like the millennial generation or even like Gen Xers? It's like they had what to expect when you're expecting. That was about it. There, there's just been a big gap in the last 40 to 50 years where I think there's now with both kind of like the information revolution, you know, all the emerging markets in tech, the mobile thing and the way that has changed our lives so much and consumer internet technology in the past 20 years, there were obviously big opportunities for tech brands to become the most valuable consumer brands in the world. I think there is now a big opportunity for a parenting tech brand to become an extremely valuable brand. And so 
we wanted to be careful about it. And like some of the decisions that we made early on were like having something that's approachable that you feel like you can trust because you're retrieving information for like the most important thing in your life and the health and well-being of your children. We want to make sure if you look something up on Winnie, you're getting good information. So there's like a content quality piece of that. The brand itself is gender neutral, um, which is very rare. It's pretty typical. I think in, in more recent years, ironically, more typical that like the brands have like gone on the gender line and there's a lot of stuff that's like mommy, whatever, or such and such mom or, you know, whatever circle of moms, what have you, which I feel like isn't really a good look in 2018. There's a lot of dads in our generation who are primary caregivers the world is just very different. Like, mm-hmm. you know, get a job at a company and then work there for 30 years right. providing for your family. Men know this. And so a lot of men, I, I think, in, in our generation are preparing themselves to be the primary caretaker. If not right off the bat, then at some point. And people are getting more creative and flexible in their family arrangements. So What's the split of Winnie users? It was originally 50-50. And it's now down to... It's hard to say because we don't collect demographic information on our users. Right. Um, so we kind of have to guess from other sources of this information. It looks to now be about 30% men mm-hmm. and 70% women. Cool. And that to me is still like a huge number of people to leave on the table just totally. so you can have a mom-oriented yeah. brand. Like I just totally. don't want that. Yeah, but also we found in our surveys of users that even the moms really appreciate that our brand is for parents, yep. not just for moms. Because whether their family structure reflects sort of more modern arrangements or not, they they like the idea that they're not always the ones that have all of the childcare responsibilities and all of the parenting responsibilities. So I think having that brand is, has also been valuable for us in attracting women to our platform, right. <laughs> sort of ironically. The more we talk about dads, the more that resonates with the moms on our platform. Right. Um, and I know that's you know, true for me and Anne, but it's been interesting to see that that's true for actually most modern women want to see that you look at families as not just, you look at parenting as not just right. women's work. When I think of like what a, you mentioned Instagram highlight reel earlier. When I think of your personal Twitter feeds, I think it's pretty far from, like I feel like you guys are very real on Twitter about who you guys are and, and what you're going through, like the highs and the lows how do you guys think about it? Do you ever like talk about like, hey, should I be saying this to each other? Like, how do you, how do you think? No, about it? one of the really nice things about not working at Twitter anymore yeah. um, <laughs> is that I'm allowed to tweet whatever I want, right. <laughs> uh, and no one can tell me what to tweet. Though they still do, they still tell me <laughs> I can't tweet that. But no, I think it's it's nice to be real. And I recently like wrote a, a post about this. I think like being authentic and open online has actually helped give people right. more awareness to Winnie. I've written about, you know, my personal struggle with, with infertility and right. stuff like that, that, you know, a lot of our, our users can actually relate to, or mm-hmm. people actually find us through some of the personal stories right. we tell, which has been nice, nice added bonus. Right. I want to talk about overall consumer social landscape i want to name a company and then i want you to say whether you're long or short and if you have an interesting reason as to why oh boy that you think it will be more valuable in the future or less valuable starting with twitter i'm looking at you you know i think 
Twitter has a lot of value. You know, I'm not sure it was ever meant to be the massive company that its valuation said it was. I think it, you know, it was it was overpriced for what it was and uh, the traction it had because people saw it as Facebook. Facebook, And I'm not sure it was ever meant to be Facebook or should be Facebook, but I think as Twitter, it still has a really interesting role to play in the world. It's still the place where you can get information before you can get it anywhere else. I think they're going through a really tough time right now and they have a lot of stuff to figure out, but I think that like core product has a value and you still can't find a lot of stuff that you can find on Twitter anywhere else. And and that's really valuable. So I'm not sure I would invest, (laughs) Um, but I think it can be a lasting product and brand for a long time. And I hope it is. Snap. I want to be long on Snap. I I bought Snap. I I wanted to love it and everything it could be. I, I'm also a big fan of Ben Thompson and like I had a lot of I thought really cool stuff to say about Snap and what like their potential was. I just don't think they actually executed on any of it. And so now I'm not feeling so good about it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to say short. How about Quora? Super long. Say more about that. Uh it becomes like a Google competitor. I feel like Quora is kind of the back end for Google. Like that's the one thing Google could never do. If it doesn't have somewhere in its index the answer to your question, it's done, right? Right. Um, but what Quora does is it like allows it has built a system that allows you to create an answer to your question um, through magic. And the thing that is so ridiculously powerful about that, especially at the scale they're at now, is that like the scale of human knowledge is so much vaster than we right. can possibly imagine. It's much bigger than the internet is now. And like, I think Google can only be as big as the content on the internet. And Quora was, I to me, like one of the most interesting companies that was in that space of like, well, we're going to create the content and create right. the value. And not just for like, you know, whatever topics we can imagine, but any topic anywhere in the world in any language. Reddit. Can I be like middling on Reddit? I, yeah, think, it's gonna, I think it's going to stay where it is. I think where it is is fine. Is anyone going to figure out like what Secret or Yik Yak tried to do? Anonymous, local? Maybe next door. Like they'd be the best position to do that. Or maybe Tinder. Are you long Tinder? Overused it. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, I, I feel like there's just like this parade of dating apps. I don't they don't distinguish themselves very well from each other for me. I don't think that I think Tinder was like the first mobile first dating company that you know so they kind of won that market. But I don't think that this does anything particularly special. And also you turn out of dating, right? Right. Eventually. Besides Winnie, what other big social consumer social companies do you think will exist, or like what spaces will be filled, or what? What opportunities do you see out there for people who are looking at the space? I would say there's still so, so many opportunities in, like, niche networks. You could go so deep on that. Like, I think if you want to go to Reddit and, like, find these huge subreddits with extremely engaged communities around, like, nail polish art. Right. Or... Is Reddit going to be, like, the Craigslist of social? <laughs> like, Possibly. I mean, it, I think it's a leading indicator. Uh, right. that, that there are that there are, are certain like axes on which yeah. you can have really thriving communities. 
and also like a good way to kind of humble yourself on how different all those communities are and yeah. how like one universal set of roles doesn't govern all of them. We learned that the hard way with product hunt. Yeah. We started with tech and then we were like, let's do books, let's do games, let's yeah. do podcasts. And just each one is its own, own different startup. And my mm-hmm. friends at Rap Genius, now Genius, also found that out when they tried to expand from music to to annotating sports and news and fashion. Stack exchange too. Yeah. yeah. It's just hard. Yeah. I wonder if LinkedIn will also have a similar, you know, you already see a little bit of GitHub, you know. What's staying. wrong with LinkedIn staying where they are? No, no, I, I think LinkedIn business. will stay, stay where they are. I wonder if it will have, if there will be, you know, unbundled, if there will be niche yeah. social. Hmm. We're already saying that. Yeah. I mean, like, there, there's, like, a LinkedIn for chefs. Yeah. That's, like, it, it is a version of that product, but it's for this, like, very specific Facebook. Facebook's not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. <laughs> Ten years from now, it'll be the dominant. I mean, I th- I think of Facebook now as like they they just have so much money and so yeah. much uh, engineering talent that they are like Google and right. that they will be a lasting technology company at this point. You know, even if the users are using other properties, yeah, um, they as a as a company they're going to be around forever or for the you know as long as right. technology is around and what happens to twitter does do they go private does someone like just rich person buy them do, do they go out of business what what sort of last advice do you have for people out there who are inspired to build something in the consumer social space um, i think one thing is like build something you're really passionate about it will get you through the hard times and will also provide you with guidance and direction i think for you know, Ann and I, we decided to attack the parenting space, um, not because it's, you know, $1 trillion are spent annually by parents in the United States, which is true. And that's what made it a good opportunity and a good reason to do it. But we were inspired to work on it because we are parents and we feel this pain every day. And we knew that something better could exist and it was up to us to make it happen. And there are so many ups and downs with starting a company, especially in the beginning. You really have to grind to get any traction and to figure out the right, exactly the right product that when you don't have a real reason for doing what you're doing and a real uh, group you want to serve um, and problem you want to solve, it makes it easier to just be like, well, right. let's just quit and move on. Try a different social app. And we really felt like even if we didn't get the initial product right, we knew the problem space was there and that we had to keep iterating until we found exactly the right product to address the problem. And I think, you know, you, you know, you see this with other social products now, too, that are specifically addressing needs that a certain group has. I think that's helped us a lot. If I may. Yeah, please. Uh, I would add... Because I think this is something that a lot of consumer founders struggle with is to really like start with as much discipline as possible about how your business is going to grow. Like a lot of consumer social products, I think, start with like the founders and their friends and then their friends, friends or something like that. And like understand that growing in that network is not growth. Like you have to be testing the ability of your product to grow outside your own personal network, which for some reason is, I think, hard for some people. And I wrote in the article that I posted recently about getting to your first 100,000 users in your private beta, for example, like start there, like have a growth mechanism in your beta and don't just 
have it be like friends and family, but like have a way to see if your product will grow even from that very early stage. Also have a model for growth, like understand at what point, like if you just plug numbers into it, like imaginary numbers, does that like go up and to the right? Is, right. is that like turning into a functional system or are you missing something important? What are your important inflection points? I feel like you could spend a lot of time just in Excel right. or Google Sheets playing with numbers and different formulas as basically like a numerical representation of your product and like be honest with yourself. This is really important every single day. If you're going to be focusing on growth, it's really, really important that you accept the numbers for what they are and then say like, are we going to get to where we're going in like a reasonable time frame? And if you're not, then you have to change something now. Right. To move and it, that curve. And I'm curious what your model looks like in the sense of Reddit, for example, doubled, I think for like 10 years straight, like it was never like super exponential. It was just very consistent. How do you guys think about it for, for winning? So our model is very much based on content. Yep. Um, and because our content is what, for the most part, has been bringing on users, we can sort of see, we can model out our growth, um, and we can also do things to accelerate that, like getting content ourselves. Yep. And so, like, you know, we've been very off on our model earlier on, but we right. now, like, we can see more clearly as more time has gone on, like, exactly how to model out our growth as a function of the content we have in our system. Do you think that your path to, let's say, two orders of magnitude, like 10 million users, will have been very different than what you did to get to 100,000 monthly active? Is it just more of the same and double down no, scale? I or? actually don't think it will be different. Um, our growth has been very consistent and predictable because we're, I mean, and some of this is because we're a network effect right. uh, startup, so that's where we get our growth yep. is from this formula where some users create some content, content brings more users. Right. Content also improves retention because there's more to yeah. see in the system and we're delivering on more value propositions. And through a mix of search and other social networks? Yeah. So it'll it'll only get better over time. The factor that will become challenging will then be the scale of the content. And this like kind of a, a phase in the future we would enter into where like now content quality is a bigger problem because the 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 problem isn't that we're not cre- contributing or creating enough content in our system. The problem is that we want that content to be valuable. Yeah. Um, and so now we need to like use the product levers to improve the value of the content rather than just churn out as much as possible. When you, when you think about social companies that have broken out in the last few years, I mean, who is in that shortlist for, for you guys as you evaluate the landscape? I mean, Meerkat had sort of a flash in the pan. Musical.ly sold for a billion dollars. Are there any others that come to mind? I, mean, I like Twitch. Yeah, Twitch totally. is interesting. Um, <clears throat> let me see. Strava is kind of interesting. Well, I was wondering during the conversation when we talk about class pass, like should there be a, like a Winnie for fit, like a social network for fitness? Because like, I'm sure people have tried that, but would that have enough? I mean, I think that's what Strava wants to be. Okay, um, yeah. And I think like if you listen to them talk about it, it's kind of like they had the idea they'd build this utility that people would use, and then they found that this community kind of organically arose around it. Um, I think a lot of people will find that right in yeah. these kind of niche areas like athletes or musicians or cooks or whatever. And, and I think like if you're working on a tool, it might be good to maybe think from the beginning about how your tool could have a community um, and how the community could be integrated with it. Yeah. I think the consumer social plays of the future will not look like, 
Facebook and right. Snapchat and Instagram, they will look more like Strava yeah. or Twitch where they're more solving a problem or addressing a unique need. Right. Um, and then suddenly something really big and social grows around that. Totally. And so they, they may start off as tools or commerce plays yeah. um, or something completely different. But I think it is how it's, it's hard to, to build a community around something that's not social at all. Right. So it's helpful to think about that earlier on. And I think the successful companies like, you know, Twitch have, yep. have thought about social from the very beginning, even though it was for a niche. Right. Discord is another example that comes to mind. Yeah. Discord is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Well, it will be exciting to see Winnie as part of that uh, emerge, as part of that. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming on the podcast. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you.